0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's just wonderful to worship with you to gather with you and to celebrate uh, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ together. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark. I've been a part of church Amen along with my wife Lauren uh, for close on 20 years. We joined as students when we were 18. Um, uh, we've both been on staff here for a season, and we're currently both working in the market marketplace. And uh, just love being a part of this community. So it's fantastic to be able to preach to you this morning. I do love preaching, uh, and this is the best church in the world to preach to. You guys are just so special um, and really, really is awesome to, to be back here uh, ministering again. If you have a Bible with you or a phone, uh, please turn to—I'm going to we, I'm gonna read from two texts this morning to get us going. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it will come up on the screens as well if you don't have a device or a Bible in front of you. We're going to read from verse 3 together, and then the next verse that we're going to le- read straight after that is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's read then together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul writes into the church in Corinth, For what I received, something he received, I passed on to you as of first importance, this is, this is the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. That was a lack of church meeting, eh? The resurrected Jesus in the midst most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a way of saying that they have passed to go and be with the Lord in glory. Then he appeared to James, uh, the Lord's brother, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. Let's now read from Peter, who was alluded to in that passage by Paul as someone that the resurrected Jesus appeared to. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Friends, if you are familiar with the scriptures, you will know there are some pretty incredible miracles that are accounted for in the scriptures. I think of Moses parting the Red Sea, a pretty remarkable event as, as Moses puts his staff into the Red Sea and the sea parts ways and the Israelites cross cross on relatively dry ground. Uh, later on, Moses strikes a rock and water comes gushing from a rock. How Cape Town needed that a few years ago. We couldn't even get the salt out of the sea. But Moses strikes a rock and water flushes, fresh water flushes from the rock. There's some pretty cool miracles if you read about Elijah and Elisha's accounts in Two Kings. One of my favorites is when Elisha makes a, a, a steel object float, an ax floats. I think I'm going to try that one next Friday, you know, when my son's sinkers are at the bottom of the pool. Pretty cool miracle. Rather than using the net, we'll just just make that object float to the top of the water. There's some pretty outrageous miracles in the scriptures, don't you think? I mean, we get into the New Testament, and there are healings all over the show. Unbelievable stuff that takes place. Um, in fact, one of the most outrageous claims of the scriptures is, is the, the resurrection of Lazarus who hadn't just been dead for a little bit. There's a, a Manchester United soccer player who, who actually passed away on a soccer field a few years ago. And uh, he, was, he was resuscitated on the field. He's now playing professional football with a placemaker. Um, miraculously, he was brought back to life right there in a stadium in front of thousands of people on national TV. But Lazarus had been in the grave for a number of days. He was smelling. You know, like when a rat smells? <laughs> hey, this body was smelling and, 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 and the scriptures tell us that he came out of the grave. They took the, the grave clothes off him. And that is an outrageous claim, isn't it? And when you think about it, when, you, when, when we read these things in the scriptures, there's some outrageous, some incredible claims that the scriptures make. Friends, there is nothing more outrageous, nothing more remarkable. There is no greater claim than this, that Jesus rose from the grave. That is the most astonishing claim of them all. That is the most outrageous claim. That is the most unbelievable claim. In fact, I dare to say that everything, every supernatural event, everything that the scriptures teach, everything would hang on this one claim that Jesus rose from the grave. I would say everything hangs on it. I would say this. I would say that if it is true, if it is true that actually the dead... Jesus, who hung on the cross, rose from the grave three days later, if that is true, then every other miracle is like child's play. <laughs> like water from a rock, that, that's really easy to believe. That's not a problem at all. That's, that's, that's fairly insignificant. If Jesus truly did rise from the, the grave, as the scriptures teach us, and I'll tell you in a moment why it is so remarkable and why it is far more remarkable in Lazarus' resurrection, if it is true, then friends, if that claim of the scriptures is true, then it's easy to believe everything else. Because this is the most remarkable claim that the scriptures put to us. And the reverse would also be true. And Paul says later on in the same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul alludes to this himself. If the resurrection is not true, if in fact Jesus didn't rise from the grave... Then as Paul says, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. In other words, every other claim is actually a moot point. It's actually insignificant and all comes to nothing. If Christ did not rise, then friends, everything else in the scriptures is rendered useless and meaningless because everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. So why is this? Why why am I making this statement? Why why can I say that the resurrection of Jesus is the most remarkable claim and that every single thing hangs on it? And I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna minister this morning around trying to prove to you that the resurrection is true. There are a number of great sermons and a number of wonderful books that do that for you. And it definitely does seem to be a problem, I think mostly a belief in the supernatural, mostly a Western problem. If you come from a more of an African culture, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, some kind of acknowledgement in, 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 in the African culture that there's, there is a supernatural force, somewhat misguided at times, the worship of the, of the ancestors, um, and even in many other cultures, through in, in, in the, the Middle Eastern culture or in the Indian culture. So it does tend to be a Western problem that we, we kind of struggle to believe in this deity and in, 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 the, the, in the existence of God and the, the power of the supernatural. But friends, if you are struggling with that, if that is something that you want to delve into, there are many great sermons and books that you can read on that. Who moved the stone is one that comes to mind. And I can encourage you that if you've settled in your heart that Christ really did rise from the grave, then your faith is on sure ground. Amen. I will just say this, though, before we move on, that the disciples who claimed that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Those that we read accounts of this morning, Peter, Paul, the 12, and the other 500 brothers and sisters, the disciples who claimed that they saw the resurrected Jesus were ultimately killed because of their claim. And that for me is pretty compelling evidence that what they said, they actually saw. They actually were willing to die for it. You know, when you uh, watch these uh, documentaries, Netflix, when you watch these documentaries about these cults, um, there's, there's one really sad one on, on Netflix at the moment, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, an absolute abuse of power, uh, a, 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 a system that's all centered around lies. And what you notice about these, these cults is that when the uh, problems start happening, those who are promulgating the lies tend to withdraw themselves and protect themselves. And they'll sacrifice everybody else in the cultish movement because the entire thing is all centered around their gain. Well, the disciples' teaching of the resurrected Jesus was the absolute opposite. In fact, they were the ones who sacrificed. They were the ones who were martyred. They were the ones who gave everything because they truly believed and they truly did see the resurrected Jesus. It wasn't just some kind of promulgation of lies that they were, they, were, they were sending out there to benefit themselves. No, far from it. They truly did see the resurrected Jesus. So if that's something that you wanna settle in your heart, I, I would encourage you to engage with the material and to settle it that you can be sure that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Now, why is that so remarkable? Why did I say that that is the most remarkable miracle, the most outrageous claim in all the scriptures? Why is it more remarkable than Lazarus rising from the grave? This is the reason, friends. It's because when Jesus appeared in the flesh on the third day after he had gone into that grave and the tomb had been rolled over his, his, his grave, when Jesus reappeared, he reappeared in a body that would never die again. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is the claim that death has been defeated. That death no longer has a claim. Now this, this is different to Lazarus' resurrection. Lazarus would have had another funeral. It would, would have been a great celebration, no doubt, as they celebrated the fact that he would have passed into glory. But Lazarus' resurrected body was unlike Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus' resurrected body was imperishable, indestructible. It would not see decay. I, I, I don't know if this is biblical, but maybe, I, I, no gray hairs, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. You, what does it mean to be imperishable? I'll let you figure that out. No saggy, underarms, I don't know, friends, I, I don't know. But it would not see decay, it's imperishable, it's immortal. The resurrected Jesus came with a body that would never die or decay ever again. And the claim that Jesus rose from the grave is not some, some cool miracle that he was there and alive again. It's the most outrageous claim, and it's this claim, that death is defeated. That death no longer has a claim on anyone who is in Christ. Listen to these awesome words of Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed away a few years ago. If you aren't familiar with Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists or one of the most... I don't know, great is the wrong word because greatness is defined by Jesus in different ways. One of the most well-known evangelists of all times. Certainly he was great. Billy Graham died a few years ago and there was a quote of his that was um, circulated on social media. Pretty awesome quote. This is what he said uh, when he was still alive in his decaying body. <laughs> Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I have gone into the presence of God. You see now, the reason Billy is able to say that is because his faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus. Billy Graham is able to say, Though I die, yet I shall live. And I will be alive forevermore because death has no claim on me. Death cannot hold me. And the resurrection of Jesus is the promise of life eternal. It is different, friends, to every other miracle in the Scriptures. It is the one single moment when we can say death, our greatest enemy, has truly been overcome. And every other miracle was a pointing towards the great power of God that would ultimately undo the sin of Adam and Eve and bring us into eternal life. The greatest miracle of all, friends, is the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Now we've been looking at four essential truths uh, over the last few weeks and I don't think it would be right to say that one of them is more important than the other. I don't think it would be right to say I, I for a long time actually kind of, with a little c- confession here, I kind of believed that the death of Jesus was more important than the life of Jesus. Those have been the last two topics and it kind of outworked itself in the way that I lived. And I've come to see that actually I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't live in that way. I shouldn't believe that. The death of Jesus is just as important as the life of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is just as important as the death of Jesus. And next week, the ascension of Jesus is just as important as the resurrection of Jesus. They're all equally important. But I think what we can say is that if one didn't happen, then the other's significance is most certainly diminished. In other words, the life of Jesus, as profound and as amazing as it was, if Jesus did not die for our sins, as we heard last week, then the life of Jesus is somewhat diminished. Likewise, if Jesus did not rise, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then we are still in our sins. And the death of Jesus, the profoundness of it is somewhat diminished. These four things, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, all together hang and it would be true that if one of them did not happen, the other would lose somewhat of its significance. I want to encourage you this morning, friends. The reason I say that, I want to encourage you this morning that the gospel includes the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that might sound like a silly thing to say because we sing about it. I've been laboring it this morning. But think for a moment. The last time you heard the gospel preached or the last time you shared your faith with someone, what did you center on? I would hazard a guess that most of us centered on the death of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins that is found in his sacrifice for our sins. Now friends, I'm not wanting us to diminish that in any way, but if we are to truly preach the gospel as we see it in the scriptures, we need to highlight the resurrection of Jesus in order to show the great power of his death. You see, when, when, when Paul writes to the Corinth, he says, I passed, What I received I passed on to you as a first importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that on the third day he rose according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, friends. That he died and rose again. And it's not just his death that is the good news. In fact, in fact, for the early disciples, the apostles, those that were the preachers of the gospel for the first generation, the death of Jesus was entirely sad until the resurrection happened. In fact, I was just sharing with my daughter this morning. Somehow she didn't know I was preaching. We probably have a far too busy household. She said, you're preaching this morning, Dad? She said, yeah. What are you preaching on? Uh, the resurrection of Jesus eyes go like this. She's like, that's awesome, she said. She said, that's like the most important thing. I said, yeah. I said, you know, everything hangs on it. She said, yeah, and if, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then his death was kind of sad. And I was like, you've got it, my girl. You've got it. The resurrection is essential to our gospel preaching, to our gospel hope. Now what now, what the claim of the resurrection does is it, it forces the hearer, and you this morning, you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. It forces the hearer to believe in an entirely supernatural event. A, an incredibly powerful event. You see, if your faith in the gospel is centered around the death of Jesus, and you don't have significant amounts of kind of Faith around his resurrection, or belief, or or kind of uh, what's the word uh, emphasis on his resurrection. Then you are forced, Then you are basing most of your faith on something that could be said not to be supernaturally powerful. Now I I hesitate to say that, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. The death of Jesus, as we heard last week, was incredibly profound and miraculous. And I'm not wanting to undermine it in any way. Heaven forbid, please. I'm being clumsy here with my words. Please hear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Is that faith in the resurrection of Jesus forces you to have faith in something incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. Literally, he rose. And the power of God has overcome death and your faith is not just based on him dying for your sins but your faith is based on a god who works in power so i want to encourage you this morning to believe in the whole gospel that jesus died and rose again and i want to encourage you that when you share your faith with someone when you teach about jesus go all the way Challenge them to believe that he actually rose from the grave. I want to finish off with two things that this means for us—the resurrection of Jesus. Two things that this means for us as, as his followers, and I have two points for you. Number one, that we have a hope that cannot die. As Peter says, and we sung about it this morning, Mark. Thank you so much for those incredible songs. As Peter says in one Peter chapter one, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. I love that phrase, a living hope. It's a hope that is alive. It's a hope that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be taken away because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus. This is an anonymous saying. It's a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but there's a tiny bit of truth in it. Man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only a second without hope. No, that's a gross exaggeration. But what it's trying to say is, is, is there's some truth in it. That when we don't have hope, when we don't have the, the desire to keep going, the hope of something beyond our circumstances, there's very little motivation to get up and go. And what we have as the disciples of Jesus, when we are centered our faith around his resurrection, is we have a living hope in every circumstance, in every situation, we have a living hope. The man who wrote these words, Peter, imagine how hopeless he was after he had denied Jesus three times, after he had heard the news of Jesus being crucified, after he had felt like it was all over. Have you ever had that moment of feeling like hope is gone? I think the Springboks had that moment yesterday when they were trying to win the rugby championship. Argentina, uh, you, rugby's spoken about far too much from this pulpit probably anyway. If you only watch every five years, that's fine. The World Cup is great. There's this team in South Africa called the Springboks, if you don't know, and they play rugby once in a while. Anyway, they were playing this game against Argentina yesterday, and they were trying to win the rugby championship. And they needed to win the rugby championship by beating their opponents, Argentina, by 39 points. And they were going for it. From the first whistle, they were... They were gunning for tries and tries and tries and then suddenly the Argentinians struck back one try before halftime another try after halftime and I looked at Jason we were watching together and I said that's it hope is gone <laughs> it's now uh, it's now a sporting improbability impossibility for them to score another three tries and win by 39 points I looked at my watch and I started doing the maths and I said it's not gonna happen and and you could watch them on the field the same thing happened hope was gone they played brilliantly, they scored another two tries, they ended up winning the game, we're all so proud of them. But there was a moment when they realized this thing is over. You know that feeling? Maybe it was when you're writing a test back in your day. Oh, this thing, I may as well just walk out of here now. This is, I gotta come back another day, this thing is over. Hope is gone. You know that feeling? <laughs> no, you always pause, Tommy. Maybe it's something at work, and it's just like, oh, that ship has sailed. I signed that contract. I'm, I'm in for that debt. You know that feeling, friends? Come on, you all know that feeling, eh? You spill wine on the carpet. Oh, it's, uh, you drop something on your new wooden floor, big dense. Uh, hope is gone. You know, you know that moment. And it's like it's this, this is like feeling of, uh, it's like it's just. just What's the point anymore? I can't keep doing this. Why should I keep going? What is the point? I reckon Peter felt a little bit like that. Denied his Savior three times. All bad news. And he's the man who writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We now have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We have a living hope Friends, I don't know what it is this morning, and, and, and I don't want to be trivial. Sometimes they can be really significant things. The hope of a child that you won't have. The hope of meeting the right person one day. The hope of getting a job. Wh- whatever it might be, the hope that you feel is just, you almost feel like giving up. Friends, this morning, whatever your circumstance, whatever is going on in your life, when you are centered around the resurrection of Jesus, we have a living hope because our hope is not in the circumstances. Listen to this wonderful quote by G.K. Chesterton. Hope is the power of being cheerful in circumstances which we know to be desperate. Why? How can you have hope in the circumstances which we know to be desperate? Because our hope is founded upon the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And we know that one day when everyone is gathered around our coffin, we will not be dead. But just like Billy, we will be in heaven with a new address, celebrating life eternal. And friends, when you believe that, when that is at the center of your existence, whatever your circumstance is, even though it might be hard, there is always hope. There is a living hope. You might be on the verge of being deported from this country because your papers are about to expire. Let me tell you, you have a living hope. Whoever you are, whatever circumstance you're facing, you have a living hope. Why? Because Christ rose from the grave. Maybe you can't import those goods into the country because COVID has wrecked chaos with our, with our, with our kind of, um, what's it called? Supply chain. Thank you. That's what I do all day, Monday to Friday. Clearly on Sunday, I take a break. We have some stock that we just can't get into the country. Orders that we placed in January are still not here. Hospitals are upset with us. Customers are getting edgy. I need to remind myself, I have a living hope. There's something beyond the circumstance. There's something far bigger, far greater. There's the resurrected Jesus who rose in an imperishable body, an indestructible body. And I have a living hope. You know, friends, I was sharing just now about that moment of loss, you know, when it's all over, and the fat lady has sung, and the springboks aren't gonna be the rugby champions this year. You know that moment? Sometimes there's this complete turnaround. It's like remarkable, it's like unbelievable. Sorry, I, I, I love sports, sorry about all the analogies. A few years ago, Liverpool, uh, not the greatest team, but anyway, we'll use them. <laughs> they were 3-0 down at halftime, Champions League final. Within the space of three minutes, they scored three goals. It was like this incredible turnaround. Incredible turnaround. I don't know if you've seen that, maybe in, in your office, suddenly happened. It's, we actually had it this week, the goods that I was complaining about, they were about to get flown out into South Africa. Just one stern email. <laughs> An incredible turnaround. I don't know if you've experienced a moment like that when you felt like this is over, this is gone, and then something happens and it's an incredible turnaround. The resurrection is the greatest turnaround of all time. It's that moment of going from hopelessness, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we had thought he was the Messiah, to going to, oh my word, drop the mic, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Because he's alive, and he's not just alive, he has conquered death. He has gone into death and broken out. He's gone into death and come out on the other side. He has conquered and become victorious over death. And it's the ultimate reversal. Number two, that was the first thing that we can take home as Jesus' disciples this morning, that we have a living Hope, thank you so much for that song this morning, Mark. I promise you, I didn't share my notes with him. The next point, and it's the very next song that you sang, is that we should have some kind of resurrection reality in our lives right here, right now. Now, Billy Graham is right. He had to die in order to pass into the indestructible life. And... There are just things about the resurrection that we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth that, that, that are reserved for that time, right? The indestructible body, the most obvious one, this flesh, this body one day of mine will go and I will receive a new body, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, so there are certain things that are reserved for that moment of the new heavens and the new earth. But friends, what is obviously clear in the scriptures is that something of the resurrection life of Jesus ought to be real for us here and now in some way. And once again, I come back to that point that the resurrection of Jesus is part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel. And when we have truly believed in the resurrection of Jesus we ought to be desiring something of his power in our life, something of his resurrection power in our current reality, something of his power to overcome an addiction or to overcome a bad habit or to break through a certain moment, something of his incredible supernatural ability to change the circumstances. Maybe it's just the reality of his power to bring us to greater maturity, to enable us to remain calm in stressful situations, to help us to, to, to just grow and mature more and more into his image because the reality is that his power is at work in our lives. Friends, once again, i ask you this morning, have you put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus? And are you desperate to experience something of his resurrection power in your life right here, right now? I'm not saying that it's all going to be plain sailing. I'm not saying we're not going to have knocks and bruises. I'm not saying that it's all just going to be easy. But friends, there is the promise in the scriptures that we can experience something of Jesus' power in our lives right now. Listen to this when Paul says how he preached the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. You see, friends, Christianity is not just a philosophy. It's not just a philosophy. It is genuine power it's not just something we think about it's not just a mental christianity is not just a mental understanding that you come to christianity is the experiencing of a powerful god at work to reverse the consequences of sin in our lives that is christianity there's, there's something of that and maybe the power isn't there to see a miracle i can't explain why I can't, friends. I can't explain why sometimes we see miraculous miracles and sometimes we don't. But even when we don't see miraculous miracles, the power of Christ can still be present in our lives to give us supernatural peace in the midst of the circumstances that we're facing. That is the resurrection power that comes from the resurrected King that's there giving us a living hope. Paul says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, in other places, he does say that we persuaded you, and I'm all for good preaching, and I'm all for clever preaching. But if that's all it is, if it's just, if it's just words, then we've lost sight of the resurrected King who overcame the grave and invites us into an experience of his genuine groundbreaking power. I want to bring us into landing. I know that's one of my favorite sayings when I end my sermon. Where a death is your sting. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54. Let's read together this final verse. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. Wow. And the mortal with immortality. Hey, bring on that day. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Friends, if we can celebrate the victory over death this morning, then everything else we face is insignificant in comparison. If that Goliath has been slain, then everything else is just a tiny little giant. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Now, I might be taking this too far, but when Paul says here, or he's quoting Isaiah actually, in Isaiah chapter 25, he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's a graphic image, it's been swallowed up. Like I said, this is just my interpretation when you when you swallow something up, there's a sense in which, a sense in which that thing has been consumed and it brings some kind of satisfaction. It's been swallowed up. It's been taken in. Is it possible that maybe the experience of, of resurrection life will be more meaningful after having gone through some pain and suffering? I don't know. You know when you've had a bad dream? Like, you know, someone in your family has died and you wake up and you're like, oh my, thank goodness, that wasn't real. And suddenly you're filled with this great emotion and love for that person, emotionally for that person in that moment. Maybe, just maybe, the pain and the suffering that we go through will make us experience or make us enjoy the life that we have in a greater way, maybe. Maybe that's what he's saying when death has been swallowed up in victory. Maybe not. Maybe I'm taking it too far. But this much is very obvious from the passage, from this particular passage, that death has been conquered. Our greatest enemy has been overcome. And the sting of death has been removed. There is no longer a great fear that we have to face. And so I want to finish off, thanks Tomo for the opportunity to preach this morning. I want to finish off by Inviting you, and I know we followers of Jesus, we do this every day, but it's good to hear someone invite you to do it again. I want to invite you to make Jesus' resurrection the biggest thing in your life. Make it the biggest thing in your life. Let your life be centered around his resurrection so that his victory is your victory, so that you can dance and sing and celebrate despite maybe some of the hard circumstances you're facing, because you know, in Christ, you have conquered, because he truly is resurrected. Amen. Thanks so much, Thomas.